0: Welcome to Unbooking the Territory as we continue our journey through the highest and lowest TV-rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. This week sees Vince Russo's highest-rated episode. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Vince Russo, and I am the Antichrist of professional wrestling! I wear this black band because if we do not stop Russo... He will kill professional wrestling for every one of you! Unless... Unless your idea of a good time is having a 320 pound Simone in the thong sitting on your face. From day one
1: that I've been in WCW, I've done nothing, nothing but deal with the bullshit of the politics behind that curtain. I want everybody in here to know just who Vince Russo is. Vince Russo is a magazine writer. Vince Russo is nothing more than a man that's still green behind the ears, wet behind the ears, and has no business standing in this ring. You disrespect the boys, the wrestlers, Truth be known, Vince, you hate this business because you've never, ever had the balls to be a wrestler. I made a promise that I would never go back on television. But every time I leave, they pull me
0: back in. So how are you this week, Dan? I am shattered, mate.
1: Today's been a long week. Yesterday was a long week. Day before were a long week. So I'll do my best to keep the energy up, as always. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm that tired. I nearly watched the wrong episode again.
0: Yeah, you sent that in the DMs. You've you've had a stressful week though with Liverpool playing the Okie Koki in the European Super League at times.
1: <laughs> oh, don't you get me started on that? I sent uh, I sent a couple of minutes uh, voice clip to uh, to young uh, to young Christopher and Harry on the Anti Football Pod. Um, just uh, explaining my thoughts and feelings on it. I'm glad to see the back of it. Football's not perfect, but I was I was having no part of that European Super League bullshit.
0: No, I, I've sent them a clip as well, and I said uh, one of the suggested punishments should be uh, take the shirt sponsorships away and make them play in the uh, Champions League Earn It shirt T-shirts. Uh, <laughs> <leagues are trading. laughs>
1: I've actually found, I've actually been linked to somewhere that sells those. I was I was thinking of getting one. But I didn't bite quite yet. Uh, How are you doing, Pally?
0: All right. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. My my club isn't doesn't have delusions of grandeur, so. (laughs) (laughs) Although although they also have, uh, well, it'll all have unfolded by the time this episode comes out. Three games remaining. Hoping for a decent result against Blackburn tomorrow. Hopefully, we can stay in the championship and kick on. But fingers
1: crossed. Fingers crossed. Premier League beckons again next season for town. Sorry, season after next. You
0: know what I mean? Promotion beckons. I'm very tired. Yeah, uh, well, maybe. Maybe. Maybe they'll do well in the Darts and Dominoes League. Apparently, when um, <laughs> Leeds United, under Don Revy, won the league, they also won the Darts and Dominoes uh, League because Revy was trying to keep them all as a group and doing the same things at the same time. So they were they were winning the pub sports as well as uh, winning the Premier League. Well, that's the vision in those days. That'd be weird to see for
1: like Premier League nowadays. I, for some reason, I just can't imagine Jordan Henderson in uh, in a pub with a pint of mild, lobbing a few darts around. Oh. <laughs> or, or James Milner, he'd be I there, he'd be there in the corner. He'd be there in the corner with his rubina.
0: <laughs> I think it'd be dangerous to give uh, Bremner a pint of mild and a set of darts. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. It's nice right, that we've so... started on football on this uh, this beer and wrestling podcast. Yeah, we need to move away from people who uh, really break people's legs to uh, people that pretend. Yeah. <laughs> Segway and half.
1: Segway and half.
0: So what are you drinking this week, Dan?
1: Uh, good question. I've already forgotten. I'm on a collaboration with the, between Vocation and Kirkstall. Uh, it's number 666. It's a Russian Imperial Stout. Yes, uh, Steve, I'm stealing your gimmick. Fuck you. 10.9%. We'll just see how that goes down silence on an audio format always brilliant that is bloody lovely actually rich cough rich decent coffee note little bit of chocolate and caramel in there that'll do for me and then i've got lined up triple h spelled t-r-i-p-e-l it's a belgian triple at nine and a half percent and that's my final one The from top Up brewing that uh, you and your good lady sent me for my birthday thank you very much and then just in case I have need a little little afters, I've got one from my beer 52 and it's called Roomies and it's a Keller beer, just 4.9%. Uh,
0: the, what you pull, if you're leaving them out, well, I've got two in front of me, but any more than that, I'm going to go and raid the fridge. Just on that uh, Kirkstall, we went to Kirkstall Brewery just before the uh, first lockdown, didn't we?
1: We did indeed, yeah. It was enjoyable, it was too. Went with young, uh, young Samuel Rogers. And
0: uh, the bishop himself, Daniel Doherty. Yeah, good times. Um, so it I've, got, <laughs> I've got... It's a I've got Abyss by Neptune Brewery. Uh, it's an oatmeal stout, and it's 5%, and it comes with this blurb that says, Dare you look into the abyss? Mesmerising from the deep, this oatmeal stout will take you to a place of darkness, with flavours of coffee and chocolate from roasted malt, leaving to a smooth, creamy mouthful from oats. That can get fucked. Well, they've spent too much money at marketing department. I've given it 3.75, but maybe they should have put a bit more effort into the uh, the brewing. Um, I big... After that, I've got a Neapolitan Milk Stout, 6% from Sagatuck Brewing Corporation. So, a couple of stouts. So, now it's time for the listeners to sit back and relax. And, well, I don't know who you can be at the moment, because Reginald seems to have disappeared off Smackdown programming. <laughs> So just be yourselves. Uh, you can hire Reginald out. I'm sure he'll be appearing on Cameo soon. And uh, relax, and we'll be the virtual Reginald, and make a recommendation for a beer that you can drink while you're watching the show. So what would you recommend this week, Dan?
1: Right, watching this one, I was having a think after, and it took me back to a beer I had in it must have been August 2019, which is weirdly specific, but it's called Elysium, and it's by Nomadic Brewery. It's 4.5%. And it's a chilli chocolate stout. And it, again, ref, it, as I always do with these, it reflects my thoughts on the show. I like all the components in it. I like a stout. I like chocolate. I like chilli. I like everything that made up this show. And I know it's going to be good, but I didn't realise that there'd be quite that much spice in it. And it knocked my bloody head off. It was really tasty. Ridiculously spicy for a stout. But I give, give it three and a half on untapped. And it, it was very, Very tasty but it will blow your head off.
0: Excellent. I've got one for one that will blow your head off as well. I've gone for Cheap Lunch by Lovick Brewery. It's a double imperial pastry stout at 14%, which I've given 2.75 to I'm untapped. Uh, the reason being that, you know, who doesn't like a cheap lunch? It might be a bit of a guilty pleasure, might not be that great, but everyone enjoys it, which I think probably reflects the show. And also, if you drink enough, you might persuade yourself that there was some wrestling on the show. <laughs> That's a bit of foreshadowing there, but
1: yeah, it was another—it um, was another show that was uh, another wrestling show that was uh,
0: wrestling light. It was, it was. So we'll go over to best beer of the week, and Beth's beer of the week is Nailers Rhubarb and Custard. So best beer of the week there is Nailers Brewery. Rhubarb and Custard, which is a golden ale at 4.4%, which we've both given five to an untapped. Have we? Well, me and Beth have. Oh, <laughs> I, mean, I was just wondering, because I was like, I don't remember having that. Was I pissed at yours? <laughs> well, we probably gave you a load of the Rum and Raisin uh, one, which is awful, but you get it in like the mix pack. So you, know, you, you <laughs> take the rough with the smooth, don't you? Hey, save them for me. I'll drink anything if it's free. Yeah, that that's another Air valley uh, brewery from Cross Hills. So
1: I'll keep an eye out. I like—I uh, don't mind a rhubarb-flavored beer.
0: Yeah, well, you know me, love a rhubarb beer. I'll just rhubarb in general. I stole a lot of rhubarb from your back garden, didn't I? Oh shit! Yeah, you did.
1: <laughs> well, we're um, we're getting uh, we're getting it all changed around this year. So this will be the this will be the last year there's any to uh, any to get to get from us. So I'll
0: have to remember to save you some. Sad times. Sad times. i make the most of that. We'd covered this last week. Um, we're still in Vince Russo's time in solo charge of creative in WWF. So just before he'd been with Jim Cornette, they'd averaged 2.75. He's going to take the average up to 3.85 in his time in charge. And then when Ed Ferrara comes in to work with him, it's going to go to 5.6. So it's on an upward trend The whole time. The episode that we're reviewing today got 5.7. It did run unopposed. Nitro ran on Tuesday night and got 2.28. However, put it in context, because at this point, there's been periods when both Nitro and Raw have run unopposed on a Monday night. Today, this is the highest rated episode of the Monday Night Wars that we've covered so far. So we're setting a new record high at that 5.7. So even when Nitro runs unopposed, it hasn't done that so far. And this is the Fallout show for Unforgiven '98.
1: Hi, the infamous Unforgiven '1998 that I believe uh, the other channel, uh, the the Monday Morning Wars Rivals Bang Bang, covered probably about six weeks ago now. So we you know we're, we are we are right there with you lads. We're recording before you uh, we're recording before you cover Unforgiven. So we technically got in there first.
0: Yeah, I, I was gutted when they uh, put that tweet up. I was like. Yeah, they they know what we're doing, and they know we, they can uh, slide in there before us. The what? Funny enough, you you say that you say about somebody sneaking
1: around outside UTT Podcast HQ. Uh, there is a bush in my front yard that's never been there before, but it's only been there a couple of days a week. Can you? you see pretty any- sure Andy's spine.
0: Yeah. What do you say, sorry? Can you see an emu sticking its head out above the uh, the bush? <laughs>
1: Not quite, but there were twice as many uh, Imperial Stout cans in my recycling as there should have been. I thought I was just on a mad one.
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have to get Clans Mason on the case and uh, issue a cease and desist.
1: I blame Andy being a shithouse. They could have changed and just released it. We could have dropped on the same
0: day. That would have been nice. It would. Go, go head to head. Like, like, like when Minder went head to head with Only Fools and Horses for the Christmas special.
1: I'll take your word for it. You're older than me. <laughs>
0: Right, so Dan, you know, what's coming next? We're going to pick five notable sections from the show and then debate which is our combined top five, whether they be good, bad, or uh, just notable. So what's your first one? There's a
1: really obvious one that I could put out first, and there's a really another obvious one that you'd expect me to put out first. So I'm not going to do either of them, and instead I want to talk about an actual wrestling match the Headbangers versus Scorpio and Terry Funk. Because I was actually surprised by how entertaining this was. It wasn't, well, I was going to say it wasn't a great wrestling match, but the fact I was entertained should suggest it was. Um, first off, Funk and Scorpio coming out to uh, Cactus Jack's music uh, threw me for a loop. There was, uh, they did the handshakes before, which was what you all think's really nice, and then boom, cheap shots from, uh, from Scorpio and Funk, working over Thrasher and Mosh. You know, a bit of double teaming. Mosh hits a du- double clothesline off the top. And it's it's just absolutely chaos, and it never sort of comes down from there. It goes to the outside early with Mosh and Scorpio. They hit the rocket launcher off the top to the floor, and Terry Funk at fifth, it was fifty three back then, hit a moonsault to the outside, <laughs> to all three. Then Scorpio flies off the top to take out the headbangers, and there was actually a nice little production note. They had the uh, they actually had a proper double feature. And certainly the best looking one we've seen so far covering these episodes, as far as I can remember, uh, to show, you know, picture in picture replay and all of that. Um, and they just keep fighting. It gets waved off for disqualification, as a lot of matches did back then. But they don't realise it's over and they're still fighting. Thrasher hits the superplex, Mosh hits the splash, Funk takes Thrasher to the outside. This is all after the bell's been rung. Scorpio and Mosh are fighting up the ramp. And then they're still fighting when they come back from break. But, like I said, that few minutes in there was just... I was there just like, wow, this is bloody insane, and I actually really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, and I always enjoyed seeing Terry Funk at this stage of his career. It was, you know, yay Terry Funk's here. I I enjoyed it when he came into WCW a couple of years later, and, you know, ECW a couple of years before, sort of thing. And... You know, the classic line at this time, which everyone was saying about him, when he does that uh, moonsault, J.R. saying he's not old, he's middle-aged and crazy. Yeah. Then J.R. said, that I believe he was NWA champion in 1975. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which, which at the time was, was 23 years, you know, on, 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 as of the date it aired, was like 23 years beforehand when he was 30, when Funk yeah. was 30. So it makes perfect sense. It sounds eons ago now. But back then, not you know, not so much. And I really liked the reference to the NWA championship. I thought it was good. I, I do think this was about the time they were uh, at the WWE, WWF working with NWA, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, well, the Forbidden Door is open yet again on one of these Raw shows. Mm. So for all, all that narrative that WWE slash F doesn't work with other companies, they certainly were in a lot of these shows that we've reviewed and were in the middle of the NWA invasion.
1: Hmm. You have uh, Dan Severin later, don't you?
0: Yeah. And actually, the uh, headbangers and Scorpio Sky and Terry Funk wasn't in my five, but I've actually put the uh, Dan Severin choking out Jim Connor in my five. Scorpio Sky?
1: Too Cold Scorpio. <laughs> the amazing thing, I, I have to fact check you, you know I do. The amazing thing about Too Cold Scorpio is he was flying around like that then and looked great. Um, I saw him at the uh, the Father Culture show that was part of the collective back in October, and Too Cold Scorpio is still flying around like that now. Uh, I think uh, he, he hit like he, he hit a moonsault leg drop, and I think he's about he's older now than Funk was in this match.
0: I guess the thing is though that people tend to, well, in America people tend to wrestle later on now than they used mm-hmm. to do. I mean, obviously it was kind of a lot more prevalent, sort of you know, in World of Sport kind of thing, to get Mm. wrestlers that were a lot older that had had careers. I think Big Daddy had started in the 30s or something, or certainly the 40s, and then he's wrestling up to the 80s. So, you know, he he was probably going to his 60s. You know, so, but obviously in America it hadn't been, and it certainly hadn't been in kind of the new generation era where they're really selling that they're the younger guys. Mm. And, you know, people always say about the old people in WCW, I think Hogan was younger in WCW than Jericho was when he won the AEW Championship.
1: I think he was, I think he was quite a bit younger. Yeah. Because Jericho was, what, 47?
0: 46, 47? Because AEW has not been around that long. No, no. But it just goes to show how sort of perceptions change over time. Uh, and going in and out like the Tide... You know, so mm. it, it becomes acceptable, then it's not, and then it is again, you know. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, Especially in wrestling when everything's so fast moving and, and fans can, and, uh, us fans, I suppose, can be, uh, can be somewhat fickle.
0: Yeah. So I'll just go on to mine of the Dan Severin segment. Yes. And the X have come back from the invasion. We may well talk about that uh, uh, as one mm-hmm. of the five. Mm-hmm. Someone, someone might bring it up, but I just thought this one sort of dovetailed in quite nicely. Triple H has got an open challenge for the European Championship and they've had an altercation earlier in the night, which again, may get raised, we don't know, with the DOA. So it's calling out, it's an open challenge, but basically everyone thinks Chains is going to answer it. Chains comes out, but then Dan Severin runs past him and is in a suit and he's followed by Jim Cornette running after him. And Jim Cornette's trying to stop Dan Severin from taking the open challenge and is there arguing with him in the corner and then Severin hip-tosses Cornette and he puts him in a combined arm bar and choke hold and Cornette's wearing this red shirt and his face goes as red as the shirt and uh, he chokes him out and then they've got to get Sergeant Slaughter to come out and carry Cornette to the back and, and this within this show, this sits in you know, this forbidden door element. that mentioned the a- NWA champion earlier. We have a match with The Undertaker versus Barry Windham, who's again, you know, part of the NWA invasion. We get Dan Severin at this point. So it's kind of all over the show, but maybe it isn't working out that well for Cornette. And I think it's kind of interesting at this time because we've got Vince Russo booking, but we've got this NWA invasion led by Cornette that feels like a very cornet idea so i did a bit of investigating to try and find out whose idea this was and jim cornet is adamant that this wasn't his idea this was something that was forced on him Mm. so jim ross bruce pritchard vince russo and dave Meltzer all say that it was jim ross's idea which aren't for people that are normally known for necessarily agreeing with each other.
1: Mm.
0: So then I went to listen to Jim Cornette's explanation of this, and he's actually reading from the autobiography of the chairman of the NWA during this point to prove that it wasn't his idea. But Jim Cornette's having to contradict what's in this autobiography, because basically the chairman of the NWA in the autobiography that Jim Cornette's using as proof that it wasn't Jim Cornette's idea... Says it's Jim Cornette's idea.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Um, man. Nobody wanted to take the credit.
0: Well, I think it was one that maybe it was Jim Cornette's idea, but then he didn't like how the story went. And and we've spoken before about, you know, bringing in fake Razor because Paul Heyman told Bruce Pritchard it was a good idea when Bruce Pritchard was booking, and, you know, Mm. you kind of have to blame Bruce Pritchard. And at the end of the day, Vince Russo's there to kind of be the scapegoat and take the blame for anything and and it was his watch so even if it's Jim Carnet's idea it, it falls into the Rousseau bucket but I, I just think it's so funny that he, even Jim Carnet's defense that it wasn't his idea says it's his idea
1: <laughs> 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 oh good stuff that is really good stuff I, I as far as a moment goes this was pretty this was something pretty cool i mean dan seven is one of the very few people who can walk out, look like a roided up Tom Selleck, wearing a suit that even for a man of his stature looked far too big, and yet you'd never question the fact that he can kick the shit out of you. And the way he just the way he was prepared to fight for a title in in his suit trousers, a pair of a pair of like winkle picker shoes or whatever he was wearing. So like, now just take my shirt off. Take my jacket off. I'm good to go. And then the way he snapped and just took out Carnet without a second thought, which not being funny. You've just slapped a, a legitimate fighter. What do you expect is going to happen? Yeah. And see him get choked out. It was one of those that was c- completely believable, completely realistic. And at that point was part of what was setting, what was sort of setting the wrestling world on fire. That element of realism, like was that real? Did he legitimately just choke Cornet out And Cornet? The way he got his face to go that red, he must have been legitimately choking. So it's one that we can definitely, um, definitely keep in the back pocket. I think because I've got a feeling we're going to agree on a few and need some need to fill the uh, need to fill the final slot.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. What's your next one?
1: Right, let's have a think. I want to go to a promo, an in-ring promo segment that made, that would go on to make one of the biggest stars in the company. And it's nothing involving DX again. It's uh, the segment between uh, Mark, Miro and Sable uh, just before the main event. So, yeah, Mark Miro, Mark, Miro and Sable. Miro comes out, says, you want Sable, you want Sable. And it got two big years from the crowd. And this was a hot crowd. Yeah. They were pretty, so they were great all night. But it was especially big pop for Sable. And then when she hit him came out, it went to yet another level. And Mero was there, smarmy, looking like a knock-off buff Bagwell, you know, with his, and with his shitty little tribal tattoo. And he's just being a dick. He's saying he's humiliated by Sable parading around in a bikini and she should be ashamed of herself, and she just doesn't give a fuck. She looks at him, she says, she likes it, you know, she likes it, She you know, she's, well, if that's, you know, next to an exhibitionist or whatever, I don't know, but when saying without Mary in a corner, she'd, uh, you know, she'll she'll rise higher than he ever could. She just really puts him in his place and says, give me two weeks and I'll kick the shit out of you, basically. And I remember the episode where, that comes up two weeks later, where they actually have the match. And you see Sable powerbombing Mark Merrow. and from what I remember, the place absolutely went mental. And yeah. Sable was just an absolute superstar. Not long after that, she's already verging on it now. But oh, this yeah. sort of this sort of breakaway, and for, for this sort of jealous boyfriend angle, that I think at this point had been running over a year. We referenced yeah. it in the last episode. And it people. must be yeah, it must be over a year now. Yeah. And she, you know, we're two weeks away from her. Breaking away from Miro, finally de- finally being done with his bullshit. And it was just well worked, well delivered, and just in the start of a, just a, an absolutely meteoric rise for Sable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I've stuck it in there because, because such long term storyline. And you can tell right from that very time where Sable's in the crowd and Triple H is confronting her because you know, she caused him to lose at WrestleMania or that, that was his perception. Um, And when Mark Marrow comes out and the fact that Sable deals with the situation before Mark Marrow comes out and it kind of makes him look stupid Mm -hmm. in front of everyone, that, that seed that was planted, you know, all those months ago and the constant bickering we've seen from them on this show. And, you know, when she's advertising the t-shirts and, you know, is jealous about that and is trying to, pull her backstage when she's on the ramp and stuff. You know, this has been going on for a very long time, you know, and the building and the building the building and the crowd are completely into it. So for my mind, it has to go in there. And I know, you know, 2021 eyes, people look down on Sable, but the amount of effort they put into that character mm. and the investment, the emotional investment they had, and that wasn't just about objectifying her you know there the, was no. the, certainly an element of that there but it's just way too simplistic to look at it that way
1: plus with the, with the people bring up the objectification and and it was it was it was rife in this era of wrestling and and beyond you know you, when you look at the brown panties matches and things like that but particularly with the with sable with the sable character and the route they went this was on her terms yeah like the, when, when Miro makes a walk out in a potato sack and he, he's there saying, disrub me, please, you know, being a smug, pompous, arrogant prick. And rather than disrobing him, she just rips the sack off and she's just like, no, fuck you, I'm doing the one thing you don't want me to do, eat shit. Yeah. And then to actually have a match, and inter, you know, to actually have an intergender match, a competitive intergender match and win in, you know, in 1998... I hadn't seen anything like that at that point. Granted, I was a child, so you know, I've not seen a lot. But that's the first time I recall seeing an, a competitive intergender match where the uh, where the woman comes out on top. So to my mind, and I'm, I'm more than open to being to being totally corrected by any, by yourself or anybody listening. But to me, that made Sable a much more three dimensional character and actually a really strong um, female role model in certain aspects.
0: Yeah, and I think this gets glossed over. And I think WWE are are guilty of doing this in a way that they've promoted the, you know, the women's revolution and trying to look down on sort of everything that happened before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, there's questionable stuff in it, but I think that does a disservice to a lot of people who put in a lot of effort to raise the profile of women's wrestling. And the flip side of it is, you know, people hold up josie wrestling as you know the, the zenith of women's wrestling but josie wrestling the finances of josie wrestling are very much built on objectifying the talent you know you any any sort of merch there's you know the wrestlers half dressed lingerie shoots that kind of thing uh, and that's in kind of the zenith of women's wrestling and I'm not saying that's right by any stretch of the imagination. It's, it's not. But to pretend it doesn't happen, you know, I, I, mm. think, I, think, I think the Joshi wrestling gets the bias of everyone just focusing on the wrestling and ignoring that. And I think that a lot of women in this era and up to the women's revolution got painted with the brush of it just being the objectification and they didn't get the credit for mm. what they did for the business.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to the uh, to the jersey side of things. My knowledge of uh, Joshi wrestling is slim to nil, um, so I can't. I'll, I'll take your word for that. But I'm, I think, I'm not yeah, saying it's yeah. all Joshi
0: wrestling, but it, there's, there's, it, there's. But it, it's kind of... there. Yeah, yeah, it's there. I,
1: I get what you're saying, and um, you, you're right. You can't hold. You know, you can't hold one accountable and one not. Um, I suppose the um, the difference is that one maybe that one presents itself as the wrestling first and the you know the lingerie photo shoots and all that second and the perception is that in wwe and it was true for a, for a good long while was that it was sort of the sex sells first and the matches came second i think that's maybe where the uh where the distinction lies but then again we're uh you know we're two we're two we're two uh, sort of older white dudes who were, Talking about women in wrestling, we, you know, like I say, are more than happy to be, uh, to be educated on the issue or, or have a discussion oh, yeah. with anybody listening, because it's just, uh, at the end of the day, it's just our, just our view on it.
0: Yeah, and and as I say, you know, I, I I think there's a lot of credit that doesn't get apportioned, and mm-hmm. you know that that can only be positive, uh, you know, and, and we've said it about Sonny as well. On, on these shows that take everything else away, she was really charismatic. She was a really great manager, you know. Mm, and she was top quality on commentary on that episode. Oh yeah, God yeah. She was. She was actually.
1: She was. She was. I'm not sure. She was one of the most believable characters, quote unquote. Everything she said felt legit, felt real, and every you know. And this this whole angle with Sable, you know, the, the months and months of bullshit she's had to put up with. And then she said, you know what, fuck it. I'm, I'm going to stand up for myself. She's been standing up for herself in sort of a passive kind of way. But now she's just saying, fuck it. Let's do it. I've had enough of you.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm agreeing with that. That's, uh, that's definitely on, uh, on my list. So that one's, uh, that one's going on. Love it. I know one that you're going to mention, so I probably won't, uh, won't steal that. Thank you. I'm going to go with Steve Austin being challenged for the WWF Championship the whole angle through the night and the stipulation is that if he lays a finger on the referee who's Gerald Briscoe then he will be fired, stripped of the title and fired and there's two sort of elements to this firstly we're getting the whole Mr. McMahon and his backstage entourage you know it's going to evolve into Patterson and Briscoe, it's going to you know, have that whole dynamic of storyline. They're going to become really front and center. And just a shame it's too late for any Goulet to have been in (laughs) that package. So we've got that element to it. We've got the interference in the match with Dude Love from Unforgiven the night before. So you've got this angle where Dude Love's feeling that he's sort of cheated out of his spot at the top You've got the angle that Austin's trying to keep his job, but it's that element of still wanting to stick it to uh, Vince McMahon. And interestingly enough, you've got this element with gold dust in it where... Goldust's, you know, he gets interviewed backstage and, you know, what kind of WWF champion would you be? And it's like, you know, why are you even asking me that question? I'd be a great champion. I'd be a great role model. You know, I don't, I've not got a foul mouth. I don't go around drinking that kind of thing. And I'm promoting Goldust potential championship material as well and saying, you know, you know, I know I'm the third wheel here, but, you know, I've, I've got a real chance sort of thing. and And being, Sort of really believable in that role. So we get the match, and obviously, you know, Austin comes out to um, massive, massive, massive pop. We've been set up for this all night. We've had Vince McMahon saying to Gerald Briscoe, you know, you're going to call it right down the middle, that kind of thing. And obviously, once we get into the match, well, it, at first it starts, and there's a couple of pinfall attempts, and he's doing the reg, uh, the regular cadence for each count. But then it becomes obvious he's doing slow counts for Austin, he's doing quick counts for Goldust. And there was a brilliant bit where he does a quick count for Goldust, and Goldust still argues with him that he's not counting fast enough because it was a two. You see, you know, <laughs> that's the three, even though he's going really quickly. And sort of this whole thing of Austin getting really uh, annoyed at Gerald Briscoe, but he's not allowed to touch him. You know, I so see you've got that whole sort of element to it and you get periods of the match where Austin's sort of squaring up to Briscoe, and then he sort of breaks it up, but then, you know, Goldust will attack him while his back's turned, that kind of thing. And then they go to the outside, and Vince McMahon's, who's come down as guest timekeeper, he's kicks <laughs> um, Bobby Resnick or whoever it was off the timekeeper duties, and he's sat there, and every time Goldust's got him in a hold, he's got the hammer right over the bell, and it shows him picture in picture about to ring the bell. You know, they're just absolutely working it for, for everything that they could. And then he, they go out to the outside and Vince is saying, you know, don't, don't count them. And then you get this situation where um, Dude Love runs in and attacks Austin, but there appears to be no disqualification for that. The match is just keeping going. And then Vince goes to hit Austin with the belt, but he hits Briscoe by accident. And Briscoe down, goes down. And Briscoe's bladed as well. I didn't see that either. Yeah. I, I actually questioned whether the belt had nicked him. Well, it was in the hairline, so I yeah. think, yeah, it, it, it was in a blading position, so I'm, I'm assuming. And, you know, there's Vince sort of, you know, because obviously Briscoe's is in a circle, and, you know, they've just started promoting him as that, and he's sort of hugging Gerald Briscoe sort of thing, sort of, you know, r- really there for his welfare. And the result, who knows? It's you, a no, I think they call it a no contest. Well, I think, I think this match must have been... In the words of the NWA, "TV time remaining," because <laughs> it, you know the show's ending. You know Austin just flips at Man the Bird. His music plays. Uh, you know the show's over. There's no conclusion to the match, but it's the third no contest on this card out of uh, six matches. And but that's the same as the last episode. And the thing is,
1: particularly for this one, I don't give a shit. Because it was it, again, it was such an entertaining match. The result is almost secondary. It's like the, the match I brought up before that ended in a double DQ because it just broke down into complete fuckery. This one, Briscoe, when he's in the corner and he's there hanging his chin out and just pointing at it, saying, Go on, then, go on, then, go on, then, really trying to provoke Austin. And he's just, Briscoe was an incredible, incredible shithead. Throughout this whole match, just an, just what, everything you want from a shithouse referee and a biased referee, and then you got, like you say, you got a man on the outside, and he's always got that that phony. I'm just the timekeeper. I'm just here to do to do a job, while he's cradling the belt in his lap. Yeah, and like you say, he's got, he's there every second with the hammer, waiting for it. And it was just, yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. The, the whole build through the show when they find Austin backstage. And uh, when he gets told, he's going to have to defend. And he's just absolutely pissed off. Yeah. And, and a complete, a, a, another week, another another level to Mick Foley, another level to the dude love character, another wrinkle to the fold of this, like one of the most just complex people in wrestling history. It was a great sort of drawing together of a load of different threads that sort of were sort of sprinkled throughout the show, and like I say, with Goldust, Dust and Luna Vachon as the wild cards, just yeah. brilliant, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Goldust did his part well. He, he was he he had a bit of a lockdown haircut. Did Goldust by this point? It looked like uh, it looked like the barbers hadn't been open for a bit. Also, this was a point where I saw one of the uh, one of the better signs of the night, and I'm just going to mention it now because it's not my sign of the night. There was a sign that said Luna Vachon has noodles in her hair. Yes, because she had the she had the braids that were nested up at that point, and also Vince managed to run to the ring and didn't blow his quadriceps out.
0: Yeah, which which is a major
1: <laughs> um, an underrated aspect of this match as well is the commentary. And actually, I enjoyed I enjoyed J. R. and Cole for the uh, for the whole show. I thought they did I thought they did pretty well. They, unlike a lot of shows we've reviewed, they didn't didn't distract, didn't take away at any point. They actually, and in this match, they're pointing out that Vince is pretty spry for a guy with a concussion. Um, they're selling the effects of the Unforgiven main event. And, you know, Austin, uh, sorry, J.R.'s always got his, um, you know, his Austin. Actually, by this point, was it Austin, uh, was it J.R. and Lawler for the main event? Yes. I can't remember. They switched halfway through, didn't
0: they? Yeah.
1: So, sorry, yeah, it was J.R. and, and Lawler, which, you know, Lawler's going to do his bullshit. I did enjoy J.R. and Cole in the first half. JR again in this match was uh, at the peak of his
0: powers. It, yeah, it was JR and Lawler. And interestingly enough, you know, I, I write commentary, quotes, or whatever all the way through. I didn't actually write any for this match, which, well, right at the start, I uh, wrote the JR saying about Briscoe selling out. But it just goes to show that sort of they weren't as intrusive. We don't get anything about. You know the toilet breaking on the International Space Station, or Jeffrey Dahmer, or anything like that. Mm. You know the 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 basically moving the storyline along and calling the action in the ring,
1: which is everything I want from a commentary team. <laughs> I don't I don't need the wackiness. I don't need I don't need the bullshit. Just uh, you, you're there to get everything over, not
0: get yourselves over. Yeah, so I'm taking it that uh, you're. Adding that one
1: to our fight. Uh Yes, Stone Cold versus Goldust was on my list, so I'm more than happy to uh, to go with that and all the associated build throughout the show. I thought it was, uh, like I said, thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do it. I'm gonna have to do it. I'm gonna have to pick the one that you all knew I was gonna pick. It's the Kane and Paul Bearer promo. Now, a running joke as we go along in Raw in this period is going to be that no matter what happens, whether it's good, bad or indifferent, I will bring up anything involving Kane. Yeah. But this time, I feel I'm completely justified. Because this isn't a Kane segment. This is the Paul Bearer show. Coming off Taker squashing, just absolutely decimating Barry Windham, which I was quite surprised by. I thought, I, I thought Taker would win, and I knew it would only be a short match, but I didn't expect it to be you know, a chokeslam and done. Pretty a chokeslam tombstone. That's that, but you know, Taker gets on the mic. It's 24 hours after the inferno match. It says Kane looked into the eyes of the dragon and got burned. Last night was only the beginning. Let's finish it. Yada yada yada. Cut to break. They show the Castrol GTX slam of the week,
0: <laughs>
1: which was Taker diving over the ropes with the while the fire's going to take out Kane and Vid, and then Kane and Bearer come out. So, you've got the lights down, you've got Kane's music, the pyro, the red lights, which still to this day, to me, in my biased opinion, looks fucking fantastic. And you've got Bearer delivering a monologue. I'm going to call it a monologue because it wasn't a promo, it was a monologue. <laughs> and it, only Bearer can do it this way. I've said it before the, the sort of the, way, the wailing, the high pitch, the lamenting. You, you know, this has got to stop. I wish I could do a Paul Bear impression. <laughs> you know, saying it wasn't supposed to be like this. It was all Paul Bearer's idea. Taker was supposed to burn. Kane had to, again, suffer the agony of the inferno. And he, he ran down the history of that poor three-year-old child lying in the hospital bed. And he, then he gets angry. And he just slips seamlessly into the anger. Goes, you didn't see him. I visited him every day, crying, begging for his mother. Because I was there when they took him to the burn ward and treated him. And they gave a very graphic description. of how they they treated Cain's burn wounds. And he pleads for a truce saying, it's got to stop, damn it. And then he delivers this sort of last couple of lines. Last night I tasted my own blood as it ran down my face. And when I looked up, I saw Cain once again on fire. I could smell the flesh. I could see the pain in his eyes. Don't you understand it was my son whose hand was on fire? And that's where they end it. Yeah. The big reveal of Paul Bearer being Cain's dad and therefore Kane being Taker's half-brother. And again, this, was, this, had gone, this had gone on for, it must be nine months.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good long time. And, and just in terms of that segment, that's the perfect time to end it. You've dropped the bombshell, but yeah. then leave people guessing, you know, has he just said that? Did he mean it? Is it a mind game? Is Kane related to The Undertaker at all? All this sort of stuff, you know. It's a great cliffhanger. Yeah, because it's questions after questions. And that was brilliant. The only thing that spoiled this segment was, you know, and they'd gone, they'd gone there, and JR was saying, you know, come back from break. We're still all in shock about Hallbearer's comments. The, the replay, oh. which is brilliant because you're, you're getting that, you know, double hit for your money. And then Jerry Lawler, the dirty pervert. You know what this means? Paul Bearer had to have slept with the Undertaker's mom, and he is so gleeful. He is just sleazy and creepy, and not in a good, yeah. way, in, a, in a dirty, dirty Jerry Lawler way. And it's yeah, it's like
1: it's like it's like he's it's like he's masturbating to the drama. Yeah, and but, it's a real shame because all it needed at the end of that promo was it was more than a little soap opera. If that if that if you'd have had that big reveal. The screen had frozen, and you just got you just did dun dun dun, 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 dun and just yeah. like had the EastEnders theme playing over it. But yeah, that just the Jerry Law. I was—I would was, forgotten about it. I'd glossed over it in my mind. But yeah, it just so it detracted so much.
0: But we've said this before about using the brakes, and this was a perfect example of using the brake because no one was turning over. You know, yeah. People were sitting through the uh, adverts to find out what the hell was going on. you know, And, and that's, that's what good soap opera does. And when wrestling television is written well, that's what wrestling television does. Yeah, exactly. I was going to
1: say, you say good
0: soap opera, it's just good TV.
1: And, and I think um, that's one thing you can always, sort of, for you know, in the Russo era, they knew how to drop a bombshell and leave a cliff. You know They might have done the bit after that, but you can't fault it because, that, like I say, it's, it's late enough in the show that people are going to watch to see if anything more comes of it, and if it doesn't, you're going to tune in next week.
0: Well, yeah, and, and this, is, this is kind of the point, and they've made it very clear in that promo that Vince did in the last episode that we watched, the Cure for the Common show, that they're going to look at other forms of television and use that structure for Raw. Yeah. Right, like a TV show. And, and, you know, this 100% was written like a TV show and came across as a, a great TV show. And I'd even say there was very little wrestling on this show. There was about mm-hmm. 18 minutes worth of wrestling in, in the two hours. And obviously, you've got commercials and whatnot. I think it ran for about 81 minutes. Come so less, less than a quarter's wrestling. But that crowd was enthralled. So you have a crowd that's just there for the most part seeing angles and no contests and squash matches and they were and they were completely engaged and there was very little wrestling.
1: Yeah. Yeah and it, again it's it's a sign of the times. They were, they were there to be entertained. And entertaining doesn't always have to be twenty minute matches and you know, knock down, drag out hoss fights and and huge lucha libre spectaculars. This was a TV show. This was, and this was entertainment. In, yeah. This was entertainment in the wrestling sphere. And it goes back to that, you know, wrestling's a buffet. I'm as happy watching this back and was happy, as happy watching it at the time as I am watching New Japan, which is all wrestling. You know, It's all wrestling all the time, unless you watch the post-show interviews, which I rarely do. But, yeah, I mean, and then the thing is, when, when this sort of thing goes wrong, it goes very wrong because I remember the a sort of Hogan Bischoff uh, TNA TNA era where there was a two hour show and I recorded uh, I recorded it wound back and actually set a timer on my phone to record the amount of original wrestling content in it and I think it ended up being about twelve minutes of original wrestling content but that didn't stop them showing replays and highlights of matches from the previous week and a flashback match that took up about, from memory, I don't know exactly how long it was, but it felt like about 10, 15 minutes. It took up at least one segment.
0: Yeah, it's difficult, that one, because I, I did always enjoy, and they often do it in the modern products where they show a, a classic match in TNA, and, you know, as someone who came into TNA in 2007, so missed the first few years, mm. it was quite nice to get those flashback matches.
1: Oh yeah, I like the flashback matches. Don't get me wrong; that there is a place for them. Um, I've got to be in the mood to watch them, but thankfully, in being in you know being in the UK, we don't get TNA live, so we can just fast forward. Yeah, but back, but when it was at this point, the storylines weren't that compelling. The uh, you know, but the roster was still really good. So I was I was tuning into TNA to see wrestlers who I couldn't see on basically couldn't see on WWE. Tune in as an alternative. But what I got on that one episode, I'm not saying the whole era, because I actually quite enjoyed a, a lot of the Hogan-Bischoff era, but on that one episode, it was, it was in the toilet. 10, yeah. 12 minutes of, of original wrestling, replays of stuff I'd seen the week or two weeks before, and a legacy match that was sort of nondescript. It wasn't yeah. like an all-time classic. It wasn't like they were showing Joe versus Angle versus Daniels. Or was it Joe versus? No, what right. was that triple threat? Styles, Joe, Daniels. Yeah,
0: it's, you know. Uh, so... Yeah, Unbreakable. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I know what you mean. Right. So my next one, because oh, well, on. Does uh, does
1: does Kane go on then? or...?
0: Oh hell yeah yeah.
1: Yeah. Better promos in.
0: This is the whole. This is the classic wrestling without wrestling. You know, it's prime example. Even if you hated the show, you have to keep watching because there's these twists and turns. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely on. And talking about something that you'd have to keep watching, oh. I'm going to go for the DX inversion of Nitro. Oh,
1: sorry. I've just taken my first swig of that, uh, that Triple H beer. Oh, that's a come down after the uh, after the stout. Dear me. Sorry, I'll save my thoughts on that for later because I don't think I'm giving doing it justice at the minute.
0: Sorry, Rob, as you were. I thought you were really disappointed in the DX invasion of Nitro. And i put, put my cards on the table. And I think a lot of this goes... Maybe the next one I should put on the list is the Mandela effect. Because a lot of the memory of the DX invasion of Nitro... Oh, they're, they're invading Nitro. They're, they're on a rocket launcher. You know, the, the fans are saying that they um, didn't pay for the tickets. You know, the, the fans are there saying that, you know, that they prefer WWF to WCW, they prefer Triple H to Eric Bischoff, and all this sort of stuff that you remember when you watch it didn't quite mm-hmm. happen that way. Not really. So there's, oh, uh, there's a cringe worthy opening segment where they're saying that they're going to invade Nitro. Triple H seems to be auditioning for appearing at Bradford Alhambra in the Panto because it's just a lot of innuendo in the middle of um, his, <laughs> his speech. It's, yeah, not right. I
1: thought it was funny, but then I've got a very childish sense of humor. I was laughing like I was laughing like hell when Billy Gunn had that rocket launcher between his legs and he's saying at ease and he just drops it a little bit no at ease and he drops it a little bit more and as as, as I've said in previous ones Rob it's funny because penises yeah yeah and and Road Dog got hit in the cock by China's rifle and people getting <laughs> hit people getting hit in the nuts is always
0: hilarious well it it is it is we're, we're back to Shinsuke Nakamura now aren't we and. <laughs> Uh, and th- then, you know, we're sort of going back and forth to the invasion on that. And, and to be fair to them, this only ran for the first hour of the show. So, you know, we say that they, they change the show when it's over. You think this is going to be segments all night, but they're going to be back and they're going to be in the arena for several sort of segments later on. So you could easily play the Triple H drinking game in this show. So the next segment, they're outside the Norfolk Scope, uh, which is where WCW are running their event from. And... Triple H shouts to the crowd, you know, do you think Eric Bischoff sucks? Now, he's working heel at the moment in WCW, in all fairness. Admittedly, he's in the NWO, but he's not like the cool one in the NWO. The crowd still aren't necessarily behind Bischoff. So the the crowd do generally agree that Bischoff sucks. And then, uh, then Triple H shouts... Do you think NWO sucks? And Kevin Dunn tries to cover it up, but the crowd shout no. <laughs> the crowd have paid to go see WCW in larger volumes than have paid to go see Raw. You know they're clearly there for a reason. Obviously, it's in the driving distance. You know, so to be fair, you're speaking to WCW fans, and they've paid to be there. So yeah, they don't think it sucks. And then the next segment, you get Triple H. Oh, hang on, Rob. Sorry, if
1: we go back. I believe the one you were just saying it was when Triple H was straddling the uh, the the cannon that was on the back of the jeep, uh, which I must point point out again is funny because penises, and you know obviously that's the height of hilarity. I didn't actually giggle at that. I was just like, yeah, that's another dick joke. Um, it even lost me by that point. Um, but they also said DX proudly starts the war and fires the first shot, and it was like somebody. It was like on Jackass where they poured talcum powder in the, in somebody's ass crack and farted. It, it was just a was- little. Boom.
0: It's pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. And just a little backstage, you know, information on how this got organised. They come up with this idea that they're going to invade Nitro. Uh, And Russo is adamant that he should go and produce the segment. Mm. And Pritchard is adamant that he should go and produce the segment. And it's decided that Bruce Pritchard will go and produce the segment. And, you know, the, the... Pritchard thinks this goes exceedingly well. Rousseau thinks this isn't what he had on paper. Mm. You know, where's the tank sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... It's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's a
1: jeep with a cannon.
0: Yeah, so the, the, there's conflicting stories between the two. But anyway, the, this is Bruce Pritchard's vision. So then, then it goes to Triple H, and he's interviewing a quote-unquote WCW fan. Now, you know, fans come... In, in all shapes and sizes and all this sort of thing, and there's no common way of telling who a wrestling fan is. I, I don't go for any stereotypes. I think the person they were speaking to was an actress. I don't think they were speaking to a random fan that they plucked out. Well, was... yeah, because, because,
1: because plucking out a random wrestling fan has all the potential in the world to go
0: absolutely fucking sideways. But she didn't even look like... She was there for the wrestling, if you know what I mean. She, she seemed a bit of a fish out of water. She looked excited
1: to be on TV. That, yeah, that, yeah. that could have been it. I mean, not being funny, you put a camera in front
0: of somebody's face who's oh. not used to being on camera, and was like, oh, my God, I'm on TV, shit. Yeah, could be, could be. I, you know, I might not come across as a wrestling fan if I was on TV, you know. Um, you barely come across as a wrestling fan on Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, fair, fair play. Um, so, anyway, is asking her, do you think WCW sucks? And she says, of course, and who rules professional wrestling? And she says DX. So she's, she's got her equity card. She's off and away. And then we get another segment and they're, they're outside the, they're they're basically at the front door of the arena where the fans are lining up. Some have already gone in and Triple H is saying, does anyone have any of those free tickets that WCW give to fill arenas? And, yeah, WCW had been guilty of that in the past. They had. but and, and all touring companies do give away free tickets. You know, there's competitions, that kind of thing. Yeah. So WWE would have been giving away free tickets. WWE would have given away free tickets to that WrestleMania with the limited tickets we've just had, because that's mm-hmm. the way it works.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so there would have been some, but I don't think there would have been many. Um, but then we get X-Pac saying, you know, we want to say say so what's, what, what, what's up to Nash and Scott Hall. And Triple H is saying let our people go, which was actually quite good that. I thought it was, you know, quite because then you're making WCW feel like they're less than. You're making them feel like they're tied into the contract, like, you know, they would come with you if they had half a chance. So I, I thought that was actually a, a sort of clever bit of it. And then we get DX trying to drive into down the ramp into the basement of the arena on the rocket launcher. And uh, we get uh, the outlaws banging on the shutters, asking um, for Bischoff to come out and speak to them. So I have panned this segment, although I think what I've probably been is kind of rather than just seeing the glossy thing of it happen, trying to be fair about it. Having said everything that I've said, this was still an iconic moment. And it was still a can't miss moment so even though the production of it wasn't great it's like it's like an old doctor who where the you know the sets wobbling in the background and stuff but it's still <laughs> classic.
1: yeah yeah i'll go along with that it's like i i actually ha- still have a best of raw i think it's like volume one and volume two dvd and i still have somewhere the vhs even though I don't, I've not had a VHS player for so long. And obviously, this invasion stuff was a big part of it. But they cut it together to see the clips back to back. Yeah, And one thing that always stuck with me to hear Sean Waltman at the gate, at the basement door saying, This is Sean Waltman, blah, 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 blah. The significance of that was lost on me when I was younger. It only really hit me last night when I was watching this. But like stuff like Road Dog knocking on the, knocking in going, Yoohoo! <laughs> Ooh, that, that was a moment of that was genuinely funny. Yeah, and then you got Billy Gunn turning around with a big smug grin. just "Ah, oh, the clothes. Look at them twat." Yeah. And the fact that they actually, the fact that they actually have the brass balls to go and do that,
0: yeah,
1: is incredible. But again, it's bringing a when I say a a, a smidge of reality. I mean, everybody knows that they're in a ratings war by this point. And I do, I do believe WWE's still in the middle of. Apart from this episode, they're not long off getting their asses handed to them. Are they? WCW. Like, sorry. No, sorry, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting confused when the 83 weeks was. Obviously, they didn't get. Obviously, WWE won this week because they ran unopposed.
0: Yeah, that 83 weeks doesn't count unopposed. Yeah. It's just head to head.
1: So they're still in the midst of it, in the head to head, and yeah, the the humour's childish and juvenile. But that's the bedrock of what DX was. Yeah. But yeah, just iconic moments throughout. Even you know Triple H giving his giving his sort of his, his war you know his war rally with, with Road Dog getting it in the nuts, and the fact he had he had a, he had an armband that that is sort of classes a little bit distasteful now where he's got the POWCW prisoner of WCW on his uh, on his arm. But the amount of Weaponry they were seemed to be carrying. Obviously, I'm assuming it's all fake. Billy Gunn's got a rocket launcher, Sean Walton's got an Uzi, China's got a massive fucking rifle, and they're driving a Jeep that's got some form of mortar on it. How did they get away with that?
0: Well, I I believe from from what I'm led to believe from the British media that that's how Americans go to the supermarket.
1: (laughs) Fucker, I will just taking a drink (laughs) then. But yeah, just it has to go on because it is just an iconic segment. This was the the most visible act of you know so, sorry not act it was the most visual representation of a Monday night war because they actually went to the building and neither side did that again as far as I'm aware.
0: No. No, and just in terms of what I said about American, um, just going to the supermarket there, just a massive shout out and thank you to the Americans that are listening to the show. I said a couple of episodes ago when we had Andy on that we had a pretty much exclusive British audience through through our direct channel. It's a little bit different on through James's channel because you know you can find us at two different places. But we've had a massive rally of Americans listening to the show on the UTT podcast channel. So uh, thank you very much uh, to them. Yeah, thank you very much.
1: And uh, we, hope you t- we hope you take it in good humour when we inevitably insult your country quite a lot. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, no, we are just two blokes from the north of England and a lot of America is as confusing to us as the north of England would be confusing to you. Uh, so yeah, the, the DX invasions is going on. Excellent. Yeah. And that's a fucker because I'm not sure I know what to talk about now. <laughs> You've gone a all of your five now. Pretty much. I did have a backup,
0: though. And I'm just trying to find it. Uh, <laughs> I'm on. trying to find it. I'll just say one honourable... I, I guess it's a bad thing. When we have the match between DOA and the Disciples of Apocalypse, obviously DOA and um, the New Age Outlaws are there with the entire DX. And the disciples of apocalypse are a little bit outnumbered because it's just skull eight ball and chains managing them. And Mm -hmm. then the Legion of doom and Sonny come out and this is going to be awesome. And they looked completely on brand. You know, Sonny's got like Legion of doom type costume, you know, that it's the revamped Legion of doom. They look sort of modern. They've, They've changed up the gimmick. They, image of those three coming down the aisle, it's like, you know, shit just got real, the crowd pops, and then they do nothing. Yeah, that was... that was. Do you know what? I, I hadn't considered
1: a negative, but that... And I don't remember that team, that, that, that version of Legion of Doom with Sonny. I remember them being there, and I remember them getting a good reaction, and I remember the horrific way they portrayed... They turned Hawks, alcoholism, into a, into a storyline. But it feel And I know, obviously, you can't account for people's demons, but the way they came out on this show and then to not do a single fucking thing well, is almost criminal.
0: Maybe that was it. And Sonny seemed quite subdued the last few episodes that we've reviewed. And, and maybe you know Hawks in a similar boat and they can't do that much. So all they can do is wheel them out for a pop and take them away. But they looked a million dollars, the three of them. Oh, they really did. I, I didn't. I did, even though it happened on
1: the last show we covered, and he got his got his head shaved. and missed the. I missed the old haircuts, but that's just the nostalgia and the and uh, the Rene Goulet Award looming. Oh God, the, do you know that's really tempting to put on, but I don't want the last slot on the uh, on our five to be a negative. Even though that makes a lot of sense. So we've got Dan Seven, we've got the Headbangers versus Funk and Scorpio. I'm going to chuck out one more thing and then see what you think. And, you know, you've got if you've got any other sort of honorable mentions. My other honorable mention was the Dude Love promo, but not the Love Shack. The Love Shack was good. I enjoyed the Love Shack, and in fact, we could throw both Dude Loves promos in as one, if you wanted to, because the Love Shack was great. It was it was another Mick Foley po- promo where he knocks it out of the park, he's completely in character, he's starting to suck up, and he's just a bit... he's quite annoying. You know, he's the, the ass-kissing sort of corporate guy while also presenting himself as this, you know, free-loving dude.
0: It's but it's, it's, funny. it's funny, though, because he... Is so good in this role. So good. Mm. And people always say, oh, you know, Mike Orson in WCW was buried when he was given that 70s guy gimmick. Which is this gimmick?
1: <laughs> I'll take your word for it, I can't remember it myself. <laughs> but that's it. but that goes to the show. It's like there's people can get shit over. given the right person, anything can get over. But the bit I really liked was when the caught dude love backstage. And yes. they're talking to him about Goldust getting the title shot. And he walks past He saying he wanted me to work wanted me to wear tie-dye. I wore tie-dye. He wanted me to beat Austin. I beat Austin I beat Austin. And he walks off and then Vince calls him back. And he said, and dude loves us like what you know, this isn't what we talked about. Don't screw me. And then Vince is just angrily demanding the camera to be cut off. Again, that feels real. That feels but, like those cameras weren't supposed to catch that. They were supposed to do the interview, but they weren't supposed to catch what came after. But again, maybe a little bit of the sort of the hidden camera TV that was just sort of gaining traction, a little bit of Jerry Springer in there, a little bit of soap opera drama. It was a really good, it was only, it, it, again, we go back to it, we've said it since Clarence Mason first turned up, it's maximizing seconds.
0: Yeah. One really good thing about was that, it kind of walked past and Vince sort of looks up and he says to him, What's up? It's not that he's having a go at him. Hmm you know, which kind of even more adds to the realism of that being a difference between what we see in backstage and what we're seeing at the front. And the fact that they notice the camera as well. Yes. So many promos backstage that make no sense in wrestling that, you know, you're sort of seeing this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at various times, various different promotions have got away with that. And, like, you know, Lucha Underground would present some things as a cinematic sort of universe and some things as the wrestling universe, and, you know, they they couldn't see into each other. But for the most part, in the current product, stuff happens backstage, and there's no rhyme or reason as to why everyone doesn't know it's going on. Mm. But this, it was like, this wasn't supposed to be seen.
1: Yeah, and Vince going... Finn's giving it the bollocks of, I own that camera, I own this, blah, 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 that's my camera. Yeah. And yeah, just it, like I said, it, it didn't make my top five, but it was so close. And But you couple that with the doodle Love promo from before, which it, it's no secret now, three epic, you know, it's going into the third episode where we've in some way waxed lyrical about Mick Foley that he's one of our favourites. I, I just thought it was worth bringing up.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. And I know it's an outside one, but I think we should put it on because it just shows the versatility. And I know the love shack wouldn't really go over today where he's got his, you know, two women in bikinis, you know, and Do you know what you say the- that
1: I was looking into this. I think the, uh, the lady in the bikini on the right is actually his wife. I'm sure it was in Foley's book. I haven't had a chance to go back and look through his book, but I, I tried to research it online and I've looked, I've, you know found some uh, some snippets and sort of rumour and just essentially rumours and then looking at photos of do you Remember that, that that series holy foley yes yeah um, yeah and looking at looking at obviously her on the screen as was in 98 and then looking now there are distinct similarities in the bone structure and like the sort of shape of her face and and height and things like that so and i'd like to I'm, I'm almost certain it's in it's in have a nice day yeah, the first
0: book he wrote? Get you. You've gone from Terry Funk to Bone Structure in, uh, in five choices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, think it should, I think it should be in there. And if it was Mrs. Foley, good luck to her. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think it shows the versatility. And as I say, a lot of these shows are of the time. And things that are acceptable today won't necessarily be acceptable in 25 years' time, won't necessarily be the way that things are presented, you know. If if we were doing this in, you know, the 2040s, current day Raw would probably come in for a lot of criticism just as we can find stuff here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's what's kind of... I won't say upsetting because it doesn't bother me that much, but it, it, with Peacock, where they're edit, where they're editing various unsavory things out, I completely understand the logic. That you know, the the Peacock is apparently massive in the states, and they don't want certain content on there. Completely, their call. Absolutely, get it. But there's there's nothing to stop them taking. The Disney Plus route, which I think I think we alluded to this on uh, on the episode with Andy. I was quite inebriated, I think, by the time we were talking about it. There's nothing to stop them just having a disclaimer, just to say various elements of this okay. of this show are representative of the time. They're no in no way representative of modern ideals and modern standards, because I, I just think in certain in certain aspects, particularly in an in, in industry, as as mired in the muck as wrestling is in a lot of ways that if you don't remember the mistakes then there's a there's always the potential of being doomed to repeat them i'm not saying glorify them by any means but they, but they were there and obviously you know it, it's a really sensitive issue and people are going to have extreme opinions one way or another and i i am someone who grew up with the attitude era and has a good deal of nostalgia for it so maybe that colors my opinion but that's just the way, that's just
0: the way I see it. Yeah, yeah, and obviously the stuff you know while the stuff's available, we'll watch it, and so sort I'll of give our comments on it. I guess in terms of them taking away, I don't feel qualified to say what should and shouldn't go, and you know, as I've said before, the, the last thing this debate needs is two uh, two white guys of a certain age. <laughs> Well, yeah that,
1: that that was my other thing. It's like you know, I'm saying that there's nothing to stop them with the disclaimer. Um, I hope I have made clear that obviously I don't condone any of the, uh, the horrific shit that was uh, that was about back then. But yeah, I'll stop rambling before I dig before I uh, have to request a bigger shovel and dig myself any deeper into that. <laughs> but yeah, dig you're up. completely right, Rob. We'll we, eh? dig up fool. Yeah, <laughs> dig up stupid. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, to be honest, there's going to be a there's on, um, on the uh, on the episode I watched. I started watching incorrectly. I'm pretty sure there's a, an elephant in the room that we're going to either have to ignore or address coming up uh, again. That we are in no way
0: qualified to speak about. Interesting. Foreshadowing. Tune in next week to hear that.
1: My hear us awkwardly skirt around
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're hoping to have some guests on next week, so hopefully we can, uh, we can let them deal with it. I'll bring the big shovels, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> give them to them. Two. So we've got our five. We've got Stable Mount Marrow, Austin Goldust in the main event with Briscoe as the special guest referee. We've got the revelation that Kane is Paul Bearer's son. Perhaps. Who knows? We've got the DX Invasion of Nitro, and we've got Dude Love and his various promos. So that's our top five. So now I think it's time that uh, we treated ourselves to an ad break. Oh, yes. So we've got an advert for the WWF hotline. I didn't specifically hear anything about pressing option three for Shawn Michaels, which I think is... I mean, option three is the Shawn Michaels option, as we've found out. But. I was
1: so confused.
0: I was just sat there like,
1: well, but how, how will I get Shawn Michaels news from 1998 now? I've been calling those numbers. They say they're inactive. They're fucking not. I've racked up a right phone bill. Well...
0: Just keep calling, down. Keep calling. Oh, bastards. Yeah. got an advert for Burst Gum. We've got an advert again for WWF the, um, the Music Volume 2 that we had last week. Yeah, we've got the Cineburst Rewind. Cineburst Gum with flavoured crystals. Bite the burst. Yeah.
1: No, thank you. First off, cinnamon in a gum is just wrong. What is th- American listeners... Please, when this, when this episode drops, please explain to me what the fascination is with cinnamon. It, cinnamon's only good for when you give someone a spoonful and tell them to eat it and watch it just puff a cloud of, cloud of cinnamon at, around and about. It's not that tasty. It's Moderation, please. You don't need it in a gum, especially not crystallised cinnamon in a gum. That's just weird. Yeah,
0: it did seem a bit weird. I'm a fat man getting angry about food. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Jarrett is going to be on the National Channel's country music show tomorrow. Who so, gives a fuck? Well, country music fans down. And the previous night on Forgiven, he'd sang with Sawyer Brown. I mean, I've got nothing against. I've got nothing against country music. I've got everything against Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, you're not. You're not a big Jeff Jarrett fan, are you?
1: It's one of those irrational hatreds.
0: I don't He's know a- why. Everybody gets that. Everybody has that. One or two. Those one or two wrestlers. That just makes the piss boil for no apparent reason. I just think it's disgusting that he invented the time machine, went back and stole Jackie Polo's gimmick. But but interestingly enough, Sawyer Brown, now, you know, I don't know much about country music, lay my cards on the table, but apparently they were a relatively big country band at the time and they'd managed to get them on the show and, you know, get Jeff Jarrett to sing with them because they'd actually gone to school with the Harris Brothers, who are uh, Skull and 8 Ball out of DOA. So they've managed to use some, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know sort of connections. Absolutely. To get them. So, you know, pe- people look down on the Harris Brothers, but they've managed to uh, spin this out into getting a band on the pay-per-view and then getting Jeff Jarrett on the country music show.
1: Fair play. Fair play to
0: them. Yeah. Then we got a sponsorship for Castrol GTX, Over the Edge. And they sponsored the Drive Hard Slam of the Week. And that's a 1030 oil. So you, know, you can drive hard because that's uh, particularly useful if you're planning to drive long distances. I'll take your word for it. We've seen a lot of Castrol GTX uh, sponsorship all over these shows that we've reviewed, haven't we?
1: Yeah, I seem to, I, I seem to remember, being, remember it being pretty prevalent, prevalent, but into 98, uh, sorry, went into 99 and 2000 as well.
0: And we get the adverts for the house shows. Um, They're doing one at the USA Arena in uh, Landover, Maryland. So I think think they were saying they're going to Toronto as well. I completely uh, missed that. So let's go to the adverts that we've had. So we've had a few shout-outs from various people or people talking about the show. So um, Scottish Juggalo or Danny on Twitter blames us for the upcoming Two Dudes With Attitude documentary that's going to be appearing on the WWE Network slash Peacock. Coming soon. Get fucked, Danny. We had nothing to do with
1: that. We did, I did too. Well, me especially, I detest that name. I love you, Danny. I really appreciate everything, you know, all you, you're putting us over and whatnot. But on this occasion, you couldn't be more wrong.
0: Although, to be fair, you had not heard a peep out of WWE for 25 years about two due to that attitude. We cover them on the show and they're making a documentary. That's all I'm it, saying.
1: It's an absolutely horrific coincidence.
0: Mike at Metal Mike 21 shouted us out, saying he'd, that he'd subbed to the show. Lulu Bell Jones at Rude Texas Kitty said that we're always worth a listen.
1: Appreciate that. Appreciate both of those people. Worth a listen is, uh, is actually more than I expected myself to be.
0: Yeah. Max says that Burnley want all the two peas back after I uh, told the story about getting uh, coined at a Burnley match. Well, people, um, had
1: to save up. people had to save up for weeks in Burnley to afford those two peas to throw at you.
0: Well, I think that says it was the mags that were throwing him. Yeah. <laughs> he looked at he looked at it and just thought, do you know what? I'm gonna be doing a podcast with that fucker someday. Have that you prick. Yeah. Joe in the ring said that he supports the podcast, so thank you very much.
1: Um, big uh, big actually really special thank you to uh to Joe for this is going it's gonna be weeks down the line when this comes out, but today as of time of recording, a friend of mine, Christian's actually walking the or may have already walked. The uh, the Three Peaks, uh, raising money for Alzheimer's, and uh, jofo was kind enough to uh, uh, to retweet that and call for more donations, so I really appreciate that. I know it's belated, and I did say it at the time, but thank you very much for that, joFO
0: Yeah, that, that's really good, and it's uh, really good of Christian to do that. Steve from Bam Bam Podcast said we were gimmick-infringing stout women and that he's going to have to set everyone on fire because we've upset him so much, including Spanky.
1: Yeah, he's not going to set me on fire.
0: I think it's good, though, that the whole world's getting set on fire, and then he's having a little bit of a thought as to whether he's going to set you on fire.
1: Well, it's because we're, we're brothers in beer, really. He won't admit it, and he'll and he'll outright deny every second of this, but we've got a similar taste in beverage. It's not intentional gimmick infringement, and, you know, if he, if he wants to... Uh, if he wants to portray a character on a show like uh, like some knobhead running a heel Twitter account and have his little gimmick, then, you know, he's welcome to it. But I appreciate the nickname still. And actually, Steve, on, on this on this week's episode at Time Recording of Bang Bang, I believe he described us as actually not a bad listen, which from a guy who hates the world and the vast majority of things in it is the highest form of praise. So thank you very much, Steve.
0: Yeah, it, it is. and We absolutely do. I actually do care what Steve thinks, even though we pretend we don't.
1: I, don't. I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. I actually enjoy this. Now, that's gimmick infringement. Like, not giving a fuck and just swearing for a bit. That's gimmick infringement.
0: Yeah, don't don't get talking about <laughs> King Omega. <laughs> God, we'd, actually, we'd actually have a, a contest there to see who can shout the loudest. I don't mind him. I think he's all right. I don't think he's a weekly wrestler. I, I don't think he looks good in AEW. I think he looked much better in New Japan. And I think the more you have him on TV, the more he diminishes star. And, and this, you know, probably, yeah. It's like when Nakamura was in New Japan or NXT, he looked great because you didn't see him in singles matches that often. But, yeah, you water him down.
1: That's my yeah, opinion. I won't bother talking about Kenny Omega because I'll just make the AEW fans want to come after me with shanks and I just can't be bothered with that.
0: Fair enough. So I'm going to more positive, and I'm supposed to be the negative one. Got my positive opinion. And um, Andy commenting about the episode um, that we had with Jameson, saying, "Can you imagine pos- podcasting sober?" Talking about Jameson is uh, drinking water one week and squash the next.
1: I do pretty much every um, every pay per view review sober, and it's purely because I'm gun shy. Because after the first one we recorded. Come the end of it, when we're all having our little, like, after wrap-up and just, you know, little general chit-chat, I was sat there nearly pissing myself. Yeah. So that's why I do that podcast. So with this one, I'm uh, I'm fine. I don't know why. I think it's because I've sat in a different chair.
0: Yeah. It's all about the chair. All about the chair. And at time of recording, you'll have to go back in the archives this week, the episode that I appeared on of In Your House podcast came out, we did on popular wrestling opinions. So yeah, if you want I take to... Your,
1: uh, I take it your Kenny Omega opinion was on there.
0: So I did... I don't think that star ratings matter. Fair. That, that was one of mine. And I did that I don't think AEW care as much about the tag team division as people Fair. think. They, yeah. Oh Well, you know, if they're not unpopular, they're, they're just, just honest. But our house podcast gave us some you know glowing feedback which i thought was particularly generous as we hadn't released an episode at the time that i recorded it so uh, <laughs> <blindfold>. <laughs> All
1: i love that i appreciate that that's um yeah that's, so, a, that's a lot of blind faith that i really
0: that i'm pretty certain hasn't been misplaced
1: and thank you to
0: chris and faz for you know having that blind faith
1: thank you to anybody who's had the blind faith to listen from day one i I really appreciate it we just took a punt on this didn't we and uh here we are i hope it's going i hope it's going well
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm 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 enjoying it either way though fuck it excellent so something else that you're going to enjoy dan so who would you give match of the night to uh
1: match of the night I i was actually torn on this one but I'm going to go with the logic that we put forth earlier in that because it tied together so many story threads, I've gone for Austin versus Goldust in the main event. It, was, it, it wasn't a great wrestling match, but in terms of a vehicle for progressing the story and for tying it in, the, the, whole, the story wasn't the match. They had wrestling moves and that was fine, but it was all about Austin and Briscoe or Austin and McMahon. And Goldust was almost fighting for attention as much as he was fighting for the title. Yeah. And it was, easily, it was easily the best match. I was entertained by the clusterfuck, you know, the tag team match before. That was probably the most entertaining match. But for the payoff and for the amount of stories it pulled together, Austin and Goldust. What about you? Yeah,
0: yeah, I'd go for Austin and Goldust as well. Yeah, it, it wasn't, you know, your five-star Dave Meltzer classic. But in terms of it being a good wrestling match... It had emotional investment from the crowd, and and that's the idea of wrestling. So, yeah, it, it's it, it is a good match by that measure. So, I'm going with that. So, who who would you give MVP to? Uh,
1: Paul Bearer, because what? in a show in a show chock full of really good promos and vignettes and bits and pieces, because you know you look at the dude, love promos were fantastic. The stuff with the stuff with DX, okay, their vignettes but that was was iconic. Vince's pro in the ring was decent. Vince was always decent. As a baseline, he was decent. But Paul Bearer, for that soap opera element at the end and this latest twist in what was now like an eight, nine-month storyline, and just that I'll say it till I'm blue in the face and people are going to be sick of hearing me say it throughout this podcast, throughout the monthly pay-per-view reviews on that 90s wrestling podcast, Paul Bearer is not spoken about enough as one of the greatest promo, promos of all time. And in fact, I'm going back, I'm, I'm contradicting myself. It wasn't a promo, it was a monologue. It was a dramatic monologue. So MVP of the night, Paul Bearer, for stealing the show with that promo.
0: Yeah, and it was a great moment. I would give my MVP to Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, we had the sort of promos all the way through the show. We had the main event, driving the crowd wild. I think it's fairly deserved.
1: who is yeah, you... more than, uh, Sorry, I was just going to say more than fair for Austin. Like I say, main performance in the main event, um, the, in the promos, when he's backstage pissed off at the whole thing, and just that little sprinkling of Austin throughout the show. Yeah, you completely see why you picked him.
0: Moment of the night?
1: The Dude Love promo with the... No, in fact, no, I'm going to change it. Moment of the night was something we didn't actually talk about. Screw it. I'm bringing something new up. It's... Owen Hart turning on Ken Shamrock. Because yeah. I, comple- I completely forgot about that until just now. Opening match Owen and Shamrock out to face Rock and Henry. Rock and Henry, obviously the heels. Owen and Shamrock, the sort of, at this point, not tepid baby faces because no one was tepid in this era, but not the biggest pop in the world. And then Owen, you know, the debate in who's was going to start. Owen and Shamrock do the big, you know, big hand slap up top. And Owen just boots him in the
0: dick. Yeah. I mean, when when they came out, I was thinking, imagine if Owen and Shamrock had got a a good, decent run together as a tag team. Oh, they'd have been incredible. They, They would. You know, we always say about Owen being the workhorse of the tag team division. And, you know, we've mentioned it before about Shamrock having sort of some holes in his game at this point. I think that would have been a really good way of putting them together. I really do. So it's an interesting one that you've picked. My moment of the night, and you know, I've picked the flaws in it, but it's still an iconic moment, and you know, it's still the thing that people remember. It's the DX Invasion of Nitro, it's yeah. got just because of
1: the significance of it. If I wasn't being such a if it, basically, I didn't, I didn't pick the DX Invasion of Nitro because we've already spoken at length about it, and I wanted to pick something new, and I, re- I really do think that's that heel turn, was probably a bit underappreciated by the live crowd, and, and a little underappreciated by us, given that neither of us um, actually brought it up. I don't think it had ever supplant anything on, on the list, but it was still... To start the show with a big heel turn, what a way to hook people in.
0: It's just such a shame that that last episode that we reviewed with Matty, it felt like Owen Hart was going on a rocket to the moon. Yeah. And because of backstage... Politics and Shawn Michaels, that's not going to happen. And, yeah, he's just sort of floundering a bit at the moment. It's, uh, it's not great, but it is what it is.
1: Yeah, sorry, and uh, weekly can opening.
0: So just while you're trying your beer, you can think about who are you going to give the René Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night. Or... That beer smells like farts. It doesn't uh, I, taste like it, thankfully. I imagine that René Goulet smells like roses. <laughs> and head and shoulders. <laughs> no, he does definitely smell the <laughs> head and <shoulders. laughs>
1: The René Goulet, it's a no-brainer for me, actually. Uh, it's, for, it's Luna Vachon for the braids slash noodles and the nest, uh, the nest that she had on top. It's just completely unique and completely different to anything else we've seen so far.
0: Well, I'm going the opposite of you. I'm going with Barry Wyndham. Because of the <laughs> mullet. I mean, the you know, he's dyed his hair blonde again. He's got rid of his black Jack's moustache. He he is fully ready to go for 1989.
1: Yeah, all right. I, I understand that. And if it was still the mullet of the night award, Barry Windham would be there. But I've had to I've had to let go my uh, my one true love with the mullet of the night award. And uh, and just move on, but it was it was really nice to see Barry Windham's mullet.
0: It was so. What would you give sign of the night? So,
1: right this there's, now there were some crackers and there were some really unsavoury ones which I shan't mention. There was an exit one that would have been on brand for us. Bischoff fears ratings, which I'm not sure he did at this point. Can't oh, do it. It
0: at this point, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, uh, I can't read that one. That was horrible. There was somebody who just made a sign where they drawn cane's face, you know, just a mask, which I was very tempted to give it to. But I've had to give it to a sign that I only saw in the opening panning shots. And it was somebody who actually made a can of whoop sign that was shaped like an actual beer can, and they'd drawn a little beer label on it and everything saying can of whoop So that is my sign of the night because it's so on brand for this podcast.
0: It's fair. And we'll come to mind in a minute, and that might be along a similar theme. But there were a couple that stood out. There was um, Craig Petranka says, Nitro's nothing. Now, I've Googled Craig Petranka, and he appears to be a Google whack, and he appears to live quite close to the arena. So if you want to contact him and <laughs> ask him if he uh, took that sign to this episode of Raw, there's probably, all- if, there were- if this was football fans, they'd be chanting, There's only one Craig Petranka. Evidently, there is only one Grapetranca. There seems to only be one. Uh, <laughs> one that I did like saying, "Hi, Vince, love the new part in your hair."
1: Yes, that was a good one.
0: Because obviously, being hit over the head with a, a chair. Also, I think he may well have um, changed up his hairstyle from when he was on commentary. So, double meaning to that one.
1: Yeah, he'd he got the power hair by this point, and the proper Vin, the proper Mr. McMahon power hair.
0: Yeah. Cashiers fear Denise Lang. I don't know who Denise Lang is. I've got a sneaky suspicion she might have been holding the sign, but uh Cashiers fear her.
1: Okay. Uh, I mean she's not like a sixties and seventies women's cricketer, is she?
0: Google didn't want a piece of this. There was <laughs> less on this than there was for Craig Petranka. Did you
1: ask Jeeves? Because that it might have been we might have required a like a the late nineties
0: search engine for a late nineties question. That's a very good point. But I am gonna give my sign of the night to Will Wrestle, spelled wrestle, as in uh W <laughs> wrestling, for beer.
1: Yes, I, I didn't see that. Oh, I'm annoyed. Yeah,
0: and, and we will. We will. If anyone wants us to wrestle, we will wrestle for beer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, fuck it. It'd be like it'd be like very late days, big daddies versus giant haystacks if me and Rob have to wrestle each other, but we'll give it a go.
0: Yeah. It lasts longer than some of the matches on this card. (laughs) Don't give us too much credit. So this is the end of Vince Russo's time in charge of creative on his own. Obviously, they're going to bring Ed Ferrara in. But what did you think to the last couple of episodes that were reviewed for Vince Russo? I've loved them.
1: Yeah. I've really loved them. It's been worth some of the shit we've had to sit through to uh, to get to this point and again a lot of this could be nostalgia because you know I was you know nine years old at this time I, the Friday night routine when me and my brother were allowed to stay up late was to stay up watch raw and for some reason we always had these like triple decker sandwiches but that was the you know ten o'clock at night sky big sandwich watch raw go to bed at midnight and that was it but yeah, the he, there's no he just, well the numbers say oh Russo moved the needle in this era like well, like nobody has until him and him and Ferrara start writing together. Um, <laughs> <Until> next week, <laughs> yeah, until next week. But it, it's it's easily the biggest jump we've seen so far, and I think the fact that we've been able to pick out so much over the last two week, two episodes, so much good, and so little of it be actual wrestling matches.
0: Yeah, just it, speaks
1: volumes to the entertainment factor.
0: It's really written like a television show, and you know we'll cover. On the next episode, and why they bring Ed Ferrara into right raw with Russo. But I don't think it should be a surprise that the way the show's going, they bring in a television writer to work with them.
1: Yeah, not at all. You know, not at all.
0: No, what was that?
1: Sorry, I just had a really good point then, and it's completely gone out of my head. Anyway, if it comes back, I'll let you know.
0: Yeah, you might get my Ed Ferrara conspiracy theory uh, next week when we're. On the Ed Ferrara episode, <laughs> or the week after when we're still on the Ed Ferrara episode, or when they go to Nitro, yeah. um, <laughs> come we point. might get it several times. Might get it several times. Oh, not at all. I might, I might forget. Probably will forget. No, I, I, I've enjoyed these, and as you've said, the, the wrestling's taken a back seat, but it, it's it's felt really good television. Oh, that really. was it.
1: Um, it was going to be about about Russo because at the time recording, we're only uh, a week removed from James's interview with Vince Russo dropping. And it it opened my eyes to a lot of things. It was very interesting to hear. But I I really appreciate people like Vince Russo, in in all walks of life. I mean, it it's it's going to sound a weird comparison, but I in my head he goes hand in hand with someone like Stan Collymore, uh, in football. In the, as a pundit, Stan Collymore, you might not agree with everything he says, but he always has a clear, logical, rational explanation for his opinion and why it makes sense to him. And you can't put a price on someone who can articulate that sort of thing and just say, Well, here's my opinion. Here's why it's you know, here's the logic there. And it's easily followed and you can and you can look at them and just say, Well I disagree and they'll just say and well they won't say, Okay, that's fine. They might call you a dickhead. But at least they can articulate they don't just say, Here's my way of thinking, fuck you if i if you think I'm wrong. So yeah. here's my here's my opinion. Here's how I got there, which I think is is lost in in a lot of discourse nowadays, just in general on any topic.
0: I think there's a big difference and I would probably put Russo and maybe Cornette in the camp of when they tell a story, they are doing their level best to tell it from their best recollection of what happened. And mm-hmm. Might be wrong, or they might at the wrong end of the stick, or whatever. But I think they come from that that place. Whereas you get the people like Bruce Pritchard, who are wonderful storytellers, but probably can't really remember what happened. And and Eric Bischoff, again, wonderful storyteller, but they never let the truth get in the way of a good story because they're so good at spinning the yarn.
1: Yeah, and, and we discussed that I think with. With James about Bruce Pritchard, yeah, and you know it's it's been said about Bischoff as well. Like I said, but certainly someone like a Vince Russo who can say, "Here's my opinion on wrestling. Here is why his X Y Z Y. I did what I did, and he'll stand by it, whether yeah. you think it's right or wrong, and then fight his corner." And it's but it's from a very not not that anybody else is uninformed, but it, it, it with Russo it feels. Like it has the least, uh, or it has the least ego behind it. If you know what I mean, it feels like there's a, the, a lesser amount of just wanting to tell a story.
0: Yeah, and uh, but they're going for completely different markets. Bru- Bruce, yeah,
1: show,
0: where, gather round, kids, I'm going to tell you a story, and, and that's his show, and it's not it's not history, it's entertainment, and you, incredibly well at it. And I think you just have to look at it with that lens. But, yeah, yeah, I think they've all got... They're, they're all interesting to listen to in in one way or another. Yeah. I think. So, what would you rate the show overall? Right, buckle up,
1: crack a beer. <laughs> I'm going in for it this week. Right, the matches, like you said, there was, I think, what was it, three out of six matches that ended in a, a no contest or a DQ or a count out. so... As much well, as I enjoyed,
0: it was know- three out of six matches that ended in a no contest. There was a DQ on top of that. <laughs> All right, so it was four out of six. <laughs> so, as much as I enjoyed the
1: clusterfuck fuck of the uh, that tag team match, and as much as the main event drew together a lot of stories, I can't give it any more than a five. There was no actual, apart from Funk's moon and some of the high flying stuff. That that was the only sort of out stuff that stood out in terms of the matches for me. So there are five out of ten. The promos, the promos in this period were borderline untouchable, just borderline untouchable, everything involving Austin, everything involving Dude Love, but Mr McMahon, Paul Bearer. It was, I can't, I can barely pick a fault with it. And so it gets, I think this is my first nine out of ten. Production values... They were they were solid, you know the the vignettes, even even the Valvina's thing, which was uh, a bit of a sort of bad taste, uh, maybe nowadays, but uh, even that it, it was just it was as good as last week, but the the DX invasion and the multiple segments and how iconic that was it kind of tips it over, so that I get my second nine out of ten on the back of the first, and the storylines. Ah, I waxed lyrical last week about them having so much crammed into what's essentially an hour and a half of TV time. You've got DX Invasion, Owen's heel turn, Taker, Vince, Austin, Dude Love. And, and that's just the major bit. You know, there, there was a bit, Miro and Sable. New character introduced in Val Venus. All the stuff with Skull and 8-Ball and Chains. You, the sprinkling of LOD, you know, coming on from from that the last episode till now, the NWA invasion. It's all in there, but nothing feels out of place. So guess what? That's another nine out of ten. Um this, this is I'm I'm rating like an on-tap now. Um the fan response, they were hot all night. They were just hot all night. And that gets an eight out of ten. I gave my highest rated last week which i think was a seven or a 7.5 i can't quite remember off the top of my head seven it's a seven well uh this gets an eight
0: all right well so before i go into my rating of the show i've just gone into a third beer i've gone into reckless which is a 4.8 percent american pale ale by red willow brewery and i've given that a four and untapped so oh fair enough yeah
1: that, that triple h triple grew on me actually it wasn't too bad It'll be it'll be about two point seven five, maybe a three, which is actually no offense to them, it's quite high for top rope. They do great beer names and great and good can art, but not my favourite beers in the world. Yeah. I'm still I've just uh, I've just cracked this at uh, this Rumi's Munich Keller beer, which is fine. It's middle of the road. It's a little bit nondescript, but it's yeah, it's just it's there. Better than no beer, and uh, I've got an, another cheeky little fourth one lined up. And it's a Morian Czech-style dry stout, which I've never had before. I've never um, had a
0: Czech-style stout.
1: Yeah, it'd be, uh, I think it'll be a new style, uh, a new style on my untapped. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm quite excited. But I'll, I'll probably have to let you know about that uh, off, off air.
0: Yeah, it'd normally be a Pilsner or something, wouldn't it? But yeah, that'd, that'd be interesting. So my rating of the show, and this might surprise you a little bit. I'm going to give it a 6.5. And the reason, and I, and I did agonise about this one. I really did because there were some iconic moments, and you know, I, I don't necessarily think the DX inversion was perfect, even though it's iconic. I didn't get the vibe from this show, like, like that show in Canada with Bret Hart and the flag match, and you know, the crowd and the way they built up on that. I know you weren't a massive fan, but you know, I, I thought that was brilliant, and I loved the show that we did last week with my, but I didn't quite think this show came to that level. And, you know, there was a lot of craziness in the matches and there was only about 80 minutes worth of wrestling on the show. And it's funny because I watched this show and then the only wrestling I've watched between this show and recording this podcast, I watched the first half of the ring of honor 500 episode that came out this week. And Jay lethal, Jonathan Gresham, in a pure rules match, and they wrestled for 16 minutes. It was a beautiful match, and you know you've got Ian Rickabarnet and Caprice Coleman on commentary. And I really like Caprice Coleman. I think he's great. I think he's really witty when he wants to be. And it was like watching a snooker match. <laughs> You're not a- it. <laughs> No, but I mean it was very good. And some snooker matches, take aside, you know, let's park the Ronnie O'Sullivan matches for a minute. Some snooker matches can be quite attritional. The commentary is very steady, very slow, very measured, mm-hmm. and you're still watching something that's technically very good. It's not flashy. It's not your one four sevens, anything like that. But it is very technically competent and that's what that ring of honor match was and that one match accounts for as much wrestling as we got on this show and it's just it's just bizarre in a way that you've managed to get so many crazy you no know, contests and squashes and all that sort of stuff and you know complete opposite side i think i think this show and you know i've always said the least important part of the wrestling is the wrestling Needed a bit more on the wrestling side. It, it was a beautiful soap opera episode, this, this episode. You, if you'd have missed it, you'd have felt stupid. You'd have felt like you'd missed out on something. If you'd have missed it, you'd have felt you know, that, that you're missing the story. You need to catch up, that kind of thing. So it, it was, mustn't miss TV. But it wasn't as good as some of the episodes that we've seen on a standalone basis so uh, as part of that chain as part of that ongoing i'm watching raw every week it was vital i just don't think it was stellar in and of itself fair
1: enough i can i can i can respect that yeah it's kind of the inverse of the uh, the episode that we recorded with andy where you guys both loved it and i was sort of less sold
0: I'm uh, still giving it, you know, a six point five to me. Oh yeah, it's, it's so a very good rating. Average, you know. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. Again, this blows out of the water anything that I'm seeing in the current products. Yeah, yeah. No,
1: you're absolutely right. And you know, context, context is is the key. So I, I, I can completely see how you got there. The well, we said last week. The the only thing that it was missing was was better wrestling. Now. Whether it it's doubtful whether it was actually better wrestling this week compared to last week, but at least to me, the no contests and the, the squashes and, and whatnot, it seemed to it just seemed to fit a little better into the show overall. And I, I don't know quite how I got there to be honest, because one of the matches involved Jeff Jarrett and all all bias aside, you know, it was Jeff Jarrett versus Bradshaw, wasn't it?
0: Yeah,
1: and it was fine. Match was fine. I can't remember how it ended. I just remember thinking I really want to see Bradshaw knock his block off. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, it, again, it, the, the whole point of this—the whole point of this podcast—is different strokes for different folks, as we keep
0: saying. Wrestling's a buffet, so yeah. No fair play to you, man. It's and I do feel a little bit cheated that we got the Burton switch with Triple H and Dan Severin. Uh, when, when I thought that was going to happen. I thought, right, <laughs> yeah. we to the ratings. And, and probably that, you know, if we'd have got a decent match between those two or a decent showing, you know, that, that would have significantly changed the ratio of wrestling and non-wrestling. And How have would had you a have segment, I think.
1: Yeah. How would you have felt if it had been five minutes that ended in either DX getting involved for a DQ or Dan Severn snapping and just absolute, just like defying a five count for a disqualification
0: I think based either on of what those, he did to
1: Cornette.
0: Either of those would have been a good finish to it. You know, it would have made sense. Yeah. Severn's seen red, he's beaten up his manager, he's lost control. You know, he has a different set of rules when he's fighting in mma to to wrestling and he's a destroyer and you know triple h has to do some chicken shit heel stuff to get away i think would have been would have been perfect really Mm
1: -hmm. yeah fair
0: enough not like i said i wasn't trying to shit on the idea I, i would have quite i would have actually
1: same as you felt quite cheated like dan seven comes out big beast of a dude i wanted to see him in triple h fight yeah and to my knowledge i'm not sure they ever did
0: it's, it's a question for Cage Match. <laughs> Would it surprise you that the community vote on Cage Match gave this show 6.2 out of 10? What a Cage Match, no. Well, I was actually quite surprised <laughs> when I looked this up because you know, I'd written down my score first and I thought, oh, you know, <laughs> got reasonably close to Cage Match. Am I either doing something very right or something very wrong? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, that's the beauty of it, isn't it, Rob? There's no such thing as right and wrong.
0: No, there there isn't. There isn't. You know, not as far as wrestling goes, anyway. Well, no, but it's great. Well, yeah, within you, certain you, parameters, it's great to see you cracking an eight out. And you know, as we said, this is the highest point so far. But we're going to have a nitro that's going to be higher than this. We're going to have, you know, we're going to go over eight for the, for a raw. Which so, is insane. Yeah, and and. Again, people, that isn't million. That's percent of the audience. So, yeah. <laughs> which is still insane. Well, it's more than millions, though. That that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you know, potentially, you know, we, we could be going. We could be in for some good episodes. The next episode we're going to go to is going to be a Russo and Fryer episode. It's going to be their lowest, but. You know, just to put that into context, I think their lowest is a four. <laughs> yeah. So we're we're a we're a world away from, you know, the those 1.8s and whatever that we've uh we've looked at. Thank fuck. So
1: where can people find you, Dan? Uh you can find me on Twitter at Dan Griffin21. And again, when I get chance to watch wrestling these days, I don't know how how out of date it'll be but work and life get in the way of watching wrestling shows, unfortunately. So I'll be on there spouting off about something or other, uh, generally about how much I tend to enjoy stuff because I can't be bothered being, uh, you know, big snarky on Twitter anymore. You can always find me on uh, that 90s wrestling podcast at 90s wrestling pod, where I do the monthly pay-per-view review with James, Mags and my co And oh, I was going to say co-host. Rob actually puts all the work in uh, <laughs> where I do that with Rob. And to rob a to rob a line off Rob, um, it's not about followers; it's about mutuals. So always happy to follow back.
0: Yeah, couldn't not say more. Really, you can find me in all those places. Find me at UTT Rob. You know, it is genuinely more about having mutuals and followers. Not here to have people just massage our egos. You know, get involved in the debate. You know, it, it's a, it's a good time. Thank you very much for listening. And I would say we're onwards and upwards. We're slightly uh, downwards from this point, but still, still going to a pretty high level. <laughs> you can also find the show at UTT Podcast. You can find the show at UTT Podcast. You can find it also on uh, that 90s wrestling podcast channel as well. As, as Dan was mentioning, and we probably smashed it by this point, but I think James is only four subscribers away from 1,000. On YouTube, so you know, he can start raking in the money then, and then we can start sending him invoices. Yeah,
1: brilliant. Yeah, he's, he's done phenomenally well as James. I'll be honest, when I first got, in, got involved with the, with the pay per view reviews, I thought James had actually been doing this much, much longer than he had. Um, I don't think I've actually said that to him, and I might not until this drops, just so he hears it and and gets a nice surprise. But yeah, James, absolutely killing it. Incredible work ethic between his day job and and the work he puts into the interviews and to the pay-per-view reviews with us. Yeah, just absolutely cannot fault the bloke. And he's a top
0: lad to boot. Yeah, and complete determination. One one of the interviews that people have slept on, he did with uh, Jimmy Jacobs, And Jimmy Jacobs is talking about work ethic and stuff. I I think James role models that, but uh, it's worth listening to that. But yeah, he certainly deserves any success he gets. So anyway, that's enough sucking up to the boss. We'll uh, (laughs) (laughs) We'll, uh, see everybody next week. First shot in the world. And
1: another thing, we just want to say what's up to our boys, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. WCW, let my people go. Let my people go.